Hi everyone, Alice here. It's been a little while since you've heard from me on the Entrepreneur First podcast, but I know Matt's been doing a great job speaking to some of our wonderful founders. One of the things I've been busy working on is a brand new podcast for Entrepreneur First. It's called The Founder's Mindset, and it launches this week. I host the podcast along with Dr. Gina Gorlin, a clinical psychologist who's been working with EF founders for the past year. On the show, Gina speaks to former EF founders about their journey and the obstacles they encountered on the way. We then debrief about what this teaches us about entrepreneurship and how we can all learn to be more effective founders. This is episode one of The Founder's Mindset. I really hope you enjoy it. If you do, there's plenty more to come. So take a moment to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Matt will be back with a new episode of the Entrepreneur First podcast for you in a couple of weeks' time. For now, though, please enjoy the first episode of The Founder's Mindset. Welcome to The Founder's Mindset. I'm Alice Bentink, and I'm co-founder of Entrepreneur First. We're a talent investor. We invest in people's founder potential at the very earliest stage. We help them to find a great co-founder, develop their idea, and build a globally important venture-backed startup. As a founder myself, I know how hard it is to bring a company to life and the psychological strain that it can put on you. That's exactly what this podcast is all about. At EF, we've been lucky enough to work with Dr. Gina Gorlin. Hi, Gina. Tell us a little bit more about yourself and this podcast. Hi, Alice. I am a licensed psychologist and an assistant professor at Yeshiva University. Throughout this series, we'll be exploring the mindsets and habits that a founder may need to cultivate in the course of starting and running their company. In entrepreneurship, challenges are inevitable, but how we respond to them can be the difference between success and failure. Alice and I will be catching up at various points throughout the conversation to share our ideas and insights and pass on our wisdom to you so you can learn from these founders' experiences and in some cases avoid making the same mistakes. Each of these founders have sat down for a discussion with Gina to reflect on their psychological journey as they built their startup. Some have gone on to found successful companies through EF, others have taken different paths. But regardless of their outcome, there is a huge amount we can learn from their stories. For today's episode, I spoke to Fabian Kuchakian. He and his co-founder, Dali, teamed up early on and hatched the idea for what would become Genomines, a biotech startup that's building the first generation of genetically enhanced plants for sustainable metal mining. This idea quickly earned them the highest ratings in their EF cohort, but that was just the beginning of their journey. Throughout the episode, I'll be talking to Gina about the psychology behind their conversation, learning the lessons we can all take from Fabian's experiences. Fabian is an ex-strategy consultant and mining engineer who had actually applied and been rejected from EF once before successfully reapplying in 2021. We'll be hearing about Fabian's initial struggles in deciding how openly to communicate their incredibly complex and ambitious business idea to mentors, advisors, and even investors. We began by talking about Fabian's co-founder, their idea, and how they communicated it. So basically, I'm Fabien Kuchekian. I wanted to build my company after doing some strategy consulting because I wanted to have a major impact. And uh, and um, one day I heard about uh, Entrepreneur First. And I was like, oh, that would be amazing to meet uh, very motivated people that are totally different um, from me and that I would normally probably never meet. 
I met uh, my current co-founder. Uh, she's called Dali. She's amazing. Uh, so basically, she's a doctor in biotechnology. And uh, when I met her, we wanted to target a major issue. She told me at the very beginning, she told me, you know, with biotechnology, you can do whatever you want, basically. And I was very, very skeptical at the beginning. So I told her, okay, because I had this one issue in mind for a very long time already, uh, that we are producing metal in a very inefficient way. We are producing a lot. And um, I told her, what if we could produce metals with plants? And she told me it's actually possible because some plants are hyperaccumulating metals. So we came up with this crazy idea that we would use plants to mine metals directly in soils at lower concentration and with better mar margins than what um, miners can do. So we tried to, we, we started to work on that, validating the market, uh, but also making sure that we were able to build a prototype. And in three months, uh, working a lot, uh, days and nights, so Daddy did an amazing job. Um, basically, she managed to design a prototype that accumulates 50 times more metal than the control. Basically, when you start working on a project, uh, at least that's my perspective, um, you're learning more and more about the market, uh, more and more about your clients, more and more about the technology, what have been done in the past, um, more and more about um, the people that, uh, that know the lot about your tech and the potential applicability that it could have for your clients. But the thing is that you learn way faster than, um, your, than the team at EF, which is totally normal. Um, because they don't have the time to, to catch up. So you need to be very synthetic when you, when you talk to them and uh, make sure that you're very, very articulate. And sometimes um, you know that some issues that can be perceived by the EF team are not really issues because you have another perspective. You maybe talked um, this very morning to someone that confirmed it was not an issue or, uh, or confirmed an hypothesis, uh, some hypothesis that you had. And the fact is that as it's very difficult to have the same level of information, it puts a lot of pressure on you because um, sometimes you have your perspective, the EF or any other investor has the, the perspective, and you need to convince them. And sometimes you have the feeling that you cannot be as ambitious um, as you think your project can be uh, because there's this asymmetry of information. And that's your job basically to communicate uh, very well on why you think uh, it's possible. And I remember um, one day I, I came to a session with you and we had this uh, discussion about I was feeling a bit frustrated, frankly, because uh, I was feeling maybe I could not communicate um, the magnitude of the project. Um, and you told me, OK, try to communicate very clearly with uh, the EF team and, and they will listen. And basically, that's what they did because they were very, very open with me about, um, okay, we don't know the market. And basically, there's such an asymmetry of information between you and us, then basically, you probably know better than us. Um, but we need to be convinced. So you need to be articulate about this. And it's just like, um, yeah, I think it's, um, it's really a conversation that you need to have and to have this hard conversation, um, even if people can be skeptical, especially when you're when you're very ambitious. My perspective is that uh, investors are incredibly open, basically, and um, they want to be educated on the markets they don't know about. Um, so when your approach is basically to, to teach them something, uh, considering that they don't know something and you're going to increase 
their level of awareness regarding an industry, regarding a market or, or whatever else. And basically, they will really appreciate that um, because they don't know the market, you teach them and then you come up with insights that nobody knows. The conversation with Fabienne for me was really interesting because it addresses a problem that we see with founders and, and have seen throughout our time running EF of how much do you share with your mentors, advisors, investors, um, particularly when you know as a founder that all of those people are going to be evaluating you. You know, even if they're you know an advisor that's providing you some some friendly support and help, you want them to go to the next person and say, "Oh, I just met with you know X founder. They're amazing. You know, willing to introduce you to to other people." Um, so it can be quite hard to know how honest, how realistic you should be. The first time I met with Fabian, he was ambivalent about like how open to be in effect. So Fabian came to me and he was saying like, I don't think that they really get it. Uh, you know, they don't realize like the magnitude of what we are like. We, this is a new way to mine metal for God's sakes. And he was saying like the first time he spoke to one of his mentors, they said like, well, but what's the hair on fire problem? And Fabian's like, people need metal. There was this, you know, kind of dissonance. And my, and I just pushed on him and said like, well, have you actually given them a chance here? Like, have you explained what you're explaining to me? And do you know that, especially like given the ways that EF like has seen your value and invested in you to date, just, but you know, by bringing you into the program and like providing you with all these resources, like, do you have reason to think that they don't want to know this or that they wouldn't like come on board with you if you actually explained it? And if you can't explain it to them, what makes you think you'll explain it to other investors in a way that they'll really understand and get excited about, right? So basically I challenged him to be honest and open with his mentors and then he was, and then it went really well. It was just, that, yeah, like there was that asymmetry, right? And so he felt like he wasn't being understood or listened to, but it was one of these very specific kind of dramatizations of like, when you're open and honest, things get better. Well, there, there are several advantages to being honest. Um, first of all, it's very comfortable. So um, basically, investors invest and they take a risk because you don't have all the answers. So by definition, that's their job. So if you pretend you have all the answers, why would they even invest? Because you could just get a loan, develop your business, and that's fine. There's always a risk. There's always a place of uncertainty. and you need to, you just need to, to, to make it clear that this is the issue. This is what you don't know. And actually it will be very, very well received because um, they know you cannot have all the answers and that, um, and that there's a, an element of risk, but your job is basically to de-risk the investment uh, at its best. So you need to, to come up with all the, all the effort that you you could have done basically so you you, you need to to do everything that you could do uh, to de-risk to de-risk investment uh, finding lois for instance with clients uh, making sure that uh, the legal environment um, is uh, is good for you and is favorable um, for instance making sure that you can um, build defensibility for your product or your services meaning like you can protect through uh, patents or, or whatever else but um, yeah, I think I think it's totally fine to be um, to be honest because um, that's why they that's that's why they expect and also 
I have the strong belief that um, if you're not, they will know. At some point, they will know. You don't want to, unless you're a pathological liar. I think it's very difficult to have the same conviction um, with something that you're not sure about, uh, rather than something that you're truly convinced about. Which is also a big risk because you can be truly convinced about something that is that turns out to be wrong at some point or to be false. But at least at the moment when you say it, like you're extremely convinced that it's true. So that's why I'm saying like you're always working with hypothesis. Uh, because you're you're building models, uh, you're you're building your business, you're building a vision, and you're building all of that uh, based on some assumptions that could turn out to be wrong. But when you tell them to investors, you need to be very very convinced about them, because I feel that they will know if you're not convinced about this, and uh, and they will not invest because they will feel that there's something that's probably probably off. When you when you start in entrepreneurship, you're maybe not used to saying, I don't know. And just, I'll come back to you with some elements of answers that I don't have at the moment, but I'm going to look for them. And um, I feel like talking with a lot of entrepreneur, entrepreneurs at Station WF or in um, over infrastructure or in, from other incubators, uh, like uh, Entrepreneur First or others, basically I'm always surprised by the fact that um, people don't realize that it's, um, the easy way is actually just to say, I don't know, and I'm going to look for that. And that's way easier than try to um, build something that you're not sure about, um, because um, so you're not convinced, so you're not going to be you're not going to be convincing. And also, probably you maybe you you'll contradict yourself, or um, you you will realize that it's just not possible. And I mean, I mean the most important, um, if you have to be honest with investors, is also because it's just about your business. So you don't want to build something that will probably not work. So I mean, it's not not really a question of uh, um, lying or not. It's more a question of like, do you want to build a business that is successful or not? It's, I think it's the only question. It's so hard as a founder when you have such a deep and intimate understanding of what you're doing. Um, and Fabian kind of touches on this in his conversation with you that you, you do just know way, way more than whoever you're interacting with. And one of the things that we look for when we select people is, is followership. Um, and the reason we say followership rather than leadership is to be a good founder, you need to be able to take people on this journey to the point where they will follow you with their cash, with their careers, with their lives, whatever it may be. And I think often the frustrating thing as a founder is that you are, it's so obvious to you, it's so clear, um, but you have to also take on this mantle, this responsibility of articulating that to the rest of the world who don't and will never have as much information as you do. No one will have thought about what you're doing as much as you and your co-founder, um, nor should you expect them to, nor do you really want them to because that's kind of part of why hopefully you're gonna, gonna win in this space. But I think what I love about what Fabien was talking about was how he positioned the founder's role. And he had this really nice bit where he was saying, you know, as a founder, you have to be able to say to some of the questions that you're asked, you know, I don't know, I don't have the answers, but I'm going to look for them. Um, and really positioning that role as the founder is um, my form of leadership, how I'm going to get you to follow me is I'm going to get you to follow me on this journey where I'm going to look for the answers and you want to be part of that journey with me. And I thought that was such a lovely kind of framing of what your job as a founder is that you aren't meant to know everything, but you need to be the kind of person who is 
excited by that journey where it's not a personal journey, it's not a lone journey. You are taking everyone along that road with you and and you're not taking them on the journey by telling them um, you know, a simplified or an inflated story of what you're doing. You're taking them on the journey saying, you know, this is complex, this is hard. It's my job to help you understand it, but it's also my job to say at times, I don't know, but I'm gonna find out. Um, and that's sort of that honesty that, that comes through. Absolutely. I think, you know, as you're talking, it's crystallizing in my mind that one of the crucial characteristics of great founders is a love of people, like a love of human beings, which I think is so counterintuitive to the way we often think about entrepreneurs. Like, oh, they're just after their own yachts or their own like bottom line or, but like no founder has been successful in getting the kind of long-term Follow, followership and kind of genuine earned loyalty and support you're talking about because to do that you've got to do the work of actually connecting with people right actually thinking like developing the what we call theory of mind skills right to to project someone else's perspective when it's really different from yours and to be able to say okay it makes sense that they're not convinced because they're seeing it from this vantage point, which is very different from mine as someone who's been steeped in this for you know weeks or years. And to get them to where I am, like here's the road that I need to walk alongside them. The hair on fire problem is actually a really nice heuristic for thinking about this. Like what is their ache that you are going to address, right? Like what is already lighting up for people? What's already hurting? What's sort of, what is a need that the other people you're dealing with are already aware of and that's alive in them from which you can then connect the dots. I think it's so crucial as a founder to love the work of like connecting with people, right? And like to love the world of human beings enough that you want to bring something into it and to like really make it real, right? Versus like the academic who's just kind of cloistered, you know, in their laboratory and just pursuing their private curiosity and who cares if anyone ever buys it or sees uh, the value, right? Like an entrepreneur, the difference between the academic and the entrepreneur, I think, the entrepreneur loves people, the academic may too, but the entrepreneur has taken on this added challenge of connecting with others around the value that they're that they've seen i love this framing and it, it's so true for you know that this podcast is about helping the earliest stage of founders you know people at that very very beginning of their journey um, and this is so true for these pre-seed and seed companies um, and when you think of it from an investment perspective often what you hear at seed stage which is very very true is you're not really investing in a company you're not really investing in an idea you're investing in the people the founders um, so your job as the founder is to take those investors you know to take them on the journey to get them excited about the journey you're going to take them on because you won't have the metrics you won't have the hard numbers to well you might if you're lucky but the majority of the the companies that we get seed fund don't have those kind of clear slam dunk metrics that make it very very obvious it's much more about um investors and advisors if you want to get some big name highly talented advisors on board saying i connect with you as a founder i want to be part of your journey and i see how you're approaching that journey and i find that inspiring I'm not an investor, so it's very difficult to, to put myself in their shoes, but I'm just thinking that basically if during a call with an investor, um, unless someone is extremely convincing and you see that he's 
really thought through uh, very deeply on every question. Um, I would be concerned if at some point the person in front of me would not say, frankly, I don't know. Uh, I'm going to look for this. Thank you for the question. And I also think that it can play out quite positively for you. But that's true that even if we were quite well rated, um, it was kind of a double-edged sport. You want to remain there, and uh, and you don't want to you don't want to to lose your your ranking. Um, but at the at the same time, you want to to develop your business. What has your relationship with EF been like since that time? Since you had that more open conversation? Basically, we felt uh, listened and that we could build uh, the company we we wanted. When I I talk to investors or partners, and they are um, they don't believe it at the beginning, I'm I'm just thinking, okay, that's normal. That's totally normal. You know, you always have hypotheses like this that you that you need to validate, and uh, we you're in this never-ending loop of I think that's possible. So because now we are on this loop, or I think we can scale our business, <laughs> but we need to check that and need to make sure it's true. And uh, of course, we are trying to gather all the elements possible to prove that it's possible to scale, um, but we'll only have the certainty once uh, we have done it. I think it's a great reminder as well that the founder journey is so long. You know, you want to get yourself in a position where you, you don't want to give up because the world truly understands what you're doing and, and you're able to be your authentic self and trying to bring that to to the to the world. Um, how do you think about people kind of bringing their authentic self to being a founder in situations like this where they're sort of misunderstood for whatever reason, they maybe haven't lent into being, um, to explaining themselves or lent into trying to be understood, and then how that kind of can end up conflicting with their authentic self? This reminds me of what you were saying earlier about followership and about the people in whom investors invest. And the fact that when we, you know, if we ask ourselves the question, like, would I want to invest in this person? Right? And I've actually posed this question to some of the founders I've worked with. Like, if you were an investor and you knew everything you know, would you want to invest in you? If so, why? Right? And I think that that actually really shifts our perspective in a powerful way because then we start to think holistically in terms of like, what excites us actually about our vision and our way of seeing the world, right? And the pluck and the irreverence and the kind of the particular style of innovation that we bring to the scene, right? Such that like we would want to be our own investors and it's just never going to be solely about, you know, like my bottom line in a month or in a, I mean, that's just not what especially like early stage investors are thinking about, right? And so I think that's one piece of it is if you realize that people want to invest in authentic human beings. People don't want to invest in shells. People don't want to invest in in brown nosers. Right? That's not what excites any of us about or lends trust and credibility, right, to the people we speak with. So if you think about like what actually disposes you positively towards someone you interact with, like is it that they have all the answers supposedly and that they are really polished in their delivery and you know, seem like a perfect, you know, like Turing bot? Or, or is it that they're human and 
their ambitiousness is genuine in a way that you know, like comes with all the you know, the blind spots and comes with all the vulnerabilities and all of the struggle and and you know, unanswered questions and is actually authentic and exciting and that you can actually connect to right so there's that there's the piece of it that if you want to impress stakeholders over time be authentic right just like on that front but then there's the even deeper reason which is again it kind of comes back to like why be a founder in the first place and what is it that actually powers people through the really tumultuous epic journey right of being a founder it only makes any sense at all to do if you're doing it for you on your own terms it can't just become this like frankenstein monster of where we can't even track it anymore because it's a piece of this and a piece of that and it's a little bit of this person's you know design and model and you know versus of course we bring in collaborators and employees but as long as we're still choosing them right and we're we're kind of we're setting the terms we're creating the culture so that the whole thing feels like it's a part of us i think there's something really beautiful and magical about that what i love about this point is that the lean startup culture and lean startup process has been you know thoroughly imbibed by the, the startup world and it's it's much better than the alternative which is you know throwing stuff out there and um, hoping um someone buys it once you've invested huge amounts of money uh but i think one of the often misconceptions or misimplementations of lean is where people start with an idea and then they take it to their customers and they are fully um instead of trying to get feedback on their idea and iterate their idea based on where they want to go, they basically end up creating the sort of mass amalgamation of a million different opinions, um, which is very, very hard to unpick. And you end up with something that basically no one really wants. But I think it's this um, misunderstanding or, or belief that, you know, you have to iterate, you have to iterate, iteration is good, iteration is good. Iteration is good when you're very, very clear about the core um, and at EF, we talk about beliefs and hunches. So your belief is kind of like the founding principle behind the startup that needs to remain probably consistent forever. The hunch is like, okay, well, this is the first iteration we have at, at trying to, to reach that belief. Um, and I've seen so many different startups over the last 10 years at EF where actually their, their belief, their, their kind of driving mission has been edited to the point where they just don't really want to work on it anymore. It's not why they wanted to become a founder and they tried to do the right thing of, you know, testing and iterating and pivoting, testing, iterating, pivoting. But they just ended up losing the why behind what they were doing. Um, there's often this phrase of, you know, there are, there are missionary founders and there are mercenary founders. And um, it's often seen as this kind of dichotomy where missionary founders are good and, and mercenary founders are, are bad or, you know, have um, a lower chance of success. I think the, the best founders really are a combination of the two where they are mission driven and they're willing to take input from their customers from a mercenary kind of perspective that enable them to solve their customers problem better. Um, but they don't compromise on that original belief because um, that as a founder is where you get your resilience from. That's how you keep going for the 5, 10, 20 years that it will take to get to you know a, a globally important company. This mission versus mercenary dichotomy is really interesting to me. It came up a couple of times when I was coaching uh, founders at EF, and I agree it's a false dichotomy. And I think I would even go a little further than to say, you need a little bit of both. Like I think there's something about the dichotomy that kind of misses the mark on 
the real synthesis that makes a great founder because a great founder, you know, I, I would replace both of them with like, be an authentic founder to bring this full circle to where we started, you know, in the sense that you are going to take huge, you know, ambitious bets that you genuinely believe are worth taking because you see the evidence on the ground and so long as you see the evidence on the ground and when you see the the value in doing something again not arbitrarily but based on like what you've noticed about the you know the unsolved problems of the world and about people's actual behavior and needs that you're not just going to let go of that right you're not going to the, the kind of motto that I often reference, strong convictions loosely held, I think it's really good to a point. But even with it, I think there's a level of conviction in the belief, right, that you were just talking about, a level of constancy and really integrity to an idea that I don't even think is captured by that phrase or by any of the current frameworks like, you know, mission versus mercenary, because that integrity, it's not like, it's not a stubbornness in the way it would be if it's not founded at anything, right? It's not like, well, I'm gonna just cling to my hunch because it would hurt to have to let it go. Just to bring that back to where we started, because I think that's a really nice note to end on, um, that these big complex ideas, the next stage is not to compromise on your belief, but to work out how to articulate that belief in a way that means you can take people on that journey. Um, that's hard, but very necessary. Yeah. And to love people, to love your fellow human beings and sort of the, the human potential enough that you are willing to take people on that journey with you and to give them the benefit of the doubt that they're going to want to go with you. They're actually going to get excited about your discovery and champion it with you. It's like the conviction that Newton had at the point where he had done the major experiments that convinced him that there's gravity, but like nobody believed him yet, right? Or that Galileo had when he testified and risked his life, right? For the sake of, a, or at least in the story that we're told, you know, I don't remember how apocryphal the story is, but you know, there have been real people in history who have done this, right? Like staked his life on the conviction that oh, the earth is round, it is not flat. I'm sorry if this flies in the face of all of, you know, I'm sorry if this is sacrilegious and really upsetting to you all and if it's gonna get me burned at the stake, but damn it, it's true, <laughs> right? Like that's the level of conviction that I think someone like, you know, Jeff Bezos brings to a venture like Amazon. Like the internet will transform how people get the things they need and how people interact with each other and with ideas and with merchandise. I can see it. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. I don't know if this will be the instantiation of it. And so this is a hunch I'm testing, right? And there are a million ways that the particular hunches could prove wrong. And I, you know, I might need, but the internet will change the face of human commerce that much I'm sure of, right? Or, or in the case of Elon Musk, like human space travel is a noble and worthy and important endeavor that shouldn't be neglected, right? Like it's possible and it's worthwhile. 
let me try to do it this way. I don't know if this is, you know, I don't know how many rockets I'm going to blow up along the way, but like, but this fundamental vision, right? Like it's not arbitrary and he's not just going to let it kind of get edited and tweaked, you know, in the ways that you're saying, because he believes it and he believes it with deep, deep reasons that aren't the sort that kind of just like, you know, you wake up tomorrow and you've received a few emails that make you doubt your belief. So I think there, that there's the synthesis of like, if you're truly, like if you're in reality, you're anchored to your knowledge and to, to what you know, to what you see. And part of what you've seen is a really profound truth that can change the world and is worth all of the iteration and all of the pain along the way. Thank you for joining us on the very first episode of The Founder's Mindset. I really hope you've enjoyed it and learned something that you can apply to your own founder journey. We actually have had some great news from Fabian since recording the interview. He and his co-founder have secured a major investment of 5 million US dollars from Chris Saka's lower carbon capital to develop their technology and drastically change the way we mine metals. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more, make sure to subscribe or follow wherever you get your podcasts to get new episodes as soon as they release. Ratings and reviews really are the best way to get us noticed. So if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, we'd be really grateful if you left us a review. Thanks to CoFruition for consulting on and putting together the podcast. I've been Alice Bentink. And I'm Gina Gorlin. See you next time. Pay fruition.